Welcome to the Saints Church Highlands podcast. We hope that this message encourages and guides you to connect with God this week. We're looking at um, what it is to be a disciple. What does discipleship look like? And we started in the origin story, the origin of the church. But where I want to go, where I want to start, if we're going to take him at his word, is we're going to go to the book of Luke. We're going to go to the book of Luke. We're going to go to the 14th chapter. I read this last time around. This cup holder will not work for me. Um, And what I want us to do to engage with the text is I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes while I'm reading it and just let it wash over you. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. It's 10 verses. It's Luke 14, 25 to 35. But it's it's a call of Jesus. And Jesus does this a bunch of times. We started here last week. Jesus has done this a bunch of times where he's got all these people following him. Like all these people, like I'm following Jesus. And and there's times where he would have a crowd of 500 people following him down the road. He's like walking down the road. I mean, generally right after a major miracle, you know, generally right after he fed thousands and thousands of people, miracles happen. People are desperate for a miracle. Why? Because they're just desperate. They're desperate for a touch of God. Uh, But what's interesting uh, is that he would then do these things where he would just start turning around and talking to them because he needed them to know that this was going to cost something. And following Jesus costs something. It's a simple ask. He said, will you give me everything? So this is Luke 14. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. (laughs) They would say, there's that person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Des and I were, uh, well, Des was chatting with a friend over text, and they were answering questions for another friend about following Jesus, and one of the conversations was about tithing. And, and the person said, you know, can you tie time instead of money? And um, I said, well, it's not really an either or. It's like a both hand. It's the time, talent, treasure. It's everything. Then they said, well, tithe, you know, giving. And when we talk about tithe, we're talking about giving 10% of our income. You know, the idea of, of that, you know, they said, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's tied to the law. And Jesus fulfilled the law. Well, actually, tithe 
predates the law. It happened, it started before the law, and then it continues all the way through. You can find it again in Hebrews. So it predates and postdates the law, so it transcends. So it's just a principle that's in the earth. And then um, they said, well, Jesus and the disciples didn't tithe. So then maybe we shouldn't tithe. And then we just had to remind a few people that Jesus simply said right here, so you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. He's like, you just got to give everything. Everything just is on the table. Like it's, it's all in. Like we are going all in. Jesus' call is a call of stewardship. All the things we recognize, everything that he's given us comes from him. And we just give it back to him. And in his grace, he's like, hey, let, let's, let's start with the tithe. Uh, let, let's start there. But he's, he's demanding every part of our life. And when we, we begin to, to talk about this idea last week that, you know, we have maybe been flavoring our lives with Jesus instead of letting him be the main course. Let him be the real deal. Let him be the whole thing. Like, we have made this pursuit of him an accessory to our lifestyle, not a lifestyle of submission to follow him. And it is a radical call, and, it, and it's a radically dangerous call uh, because we give up our whole life to follow him, we, even unto our death. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. It's just a radical call. And, um, and what, this is, what I think, what I love about this community, particularly on a Sunday night, is that we are able to, in this context, explore the call of discipleship, a radical call of discipleship, free of some of the constraints of, let's call it, um, established rhythms and routines. Because the longer churches go on, there are expectations. There's expectations of services that should be delivered and programs should, should be offered and the way things should function, the way things should go. We sometimes precondition people's ideas of faith. And what we have done in trying to help is that we have... Con- at times created a construct where we just make it a program that we're a part of instead of a life that we choose. A life that we choose to surrender, a life that we choose to give because the call is to give him everything. And where we left last week, we said we're going to look at the four lifestyle calls of a disciple. There are four calls coming out of this origin story. The origin story of the church is found in Acts chapter 2. Church as we understand it, happens in Acts chapter 2. There's a pocket in, in verse 42 to 47, which is like my favorite portion of scripture, period, because I'm like, this is where it begins. This is how it starts. And, and, and I think my pursuit in life is how do we make what we're doing line up with what they were doing? We're going to take him at his word. This is what the atmosphere was. This is what the expectation was. This is how it felt. This is how it went. What can we do to align ourselves with that instead of just building on what we think might work? Because what we think might work is kind of like building your house on the sand. A storm comes, like, I don't know, COVID, and it changes the game. And what we saw in church in general was just a mass exodus of consumer Christians. We just didn't come back because it was just an addition to the life. The true call of a believer is complete submission and surrender. And uh, the beginning in, in, my, in my Bible, you know, those little subtitles or the little headings of a section of Scripture, that's not in the original text. It's, it's added by the editors. When I'm in Acts chapter 2, it says, in the believers form a community. But I want to start just before that, at Acts 2.41. In Acts 2, Holy Spirit's poured out. They stumble into the street. People think they're drunk. They're not. 
They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're preaching the gospel in every language. And then people are provoked in their hearts and they ask Peter, what should we do? Like, what do we do now? This has radically provoked our hearts. It's radically like pushed a button inside. And maybe that's the goal here is that we radically provoke hearts. That's what Jesus was doing. He says, listen, whole crowds, everyone follow me, 500 people behind me. You want to follow me? They're like, yeah. They're like, just carry your own cross and walk to your death every day. Excuse me? Did he just say that? Yeah, no, he said that. Okay, well, I got to go. Uh, <laughs> this has been good. This is, he's, he's not feeding thousands of people then today. Because <laughs> I, I just want to see that again. I mean, that happened twice, right? 5,000 and 4,000. It's like, will it happen a third time if we just keep going? And if I get hungry enough, will he like? And then he started with five loaves and it was seven loaves. What if I bring nine loaves? What is, what's he going to do now? You know, like, I've, and then he's like, no, it's not about that. It, I, I love that he starts, uh, and I think this is a provocative thought for, for parents. He's like, he says, and by, by comparison, just hate your family. Like, he's like, just, you love your mom? Yeah, I love my mom. You should hate her in comparison to me. <laughs> Why? How do I process that? Well, you process it as a comparison, and he's just saying, I'm first, and then everything else is a distant second. And everyone loves their mom the most. So he's like, just start there, and then there's a big gap. So however much you love your mom, which I already know, I can see it in your eyes, is already a lot. He's like, you gotta love me way more than that because you'd do anything for your mom. What would you do for me? Acts 2.41, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. So at this time, again, the Christians were not yet called Christians. This is day one. This is like, you know, first moments. They were not called Christians yet. They were called followers of the way. That was what people just called them because they just lived a new way. And after the new believers had been added to the church, they started a different way of life unique to those in the church. So the pattern of life shifted. So this predominant group of 3,000 was all predominantly Jewish people that became Christians. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah and they accepted that message. So they had a regular pattern of Jewish life where they would go to synagogue and they would go to the temple and they'd make sacrifices. All of a sudden, because Jesus fulfilled the law, their pattern changed. It's like the routine changed. Even their daily routine changed. The way that they would go about things. They did some of the same things, but they did it in an entirely different way. That's the call of following Jesus. You do some of the same things that you do in life, but you do them in a new way and with a whole new set of reasons and expectations. They, they, they adopted an entire new way of life. It was not an addition. It was, I'm gonna adopt a new way of life and I'm gonna follow this way. This is the way. Following Jesus, this is the way. So if we think about that, then, then there's four calls of a believer of how we shift and adapt our lifestyle to following the Jesus way. The first way is a lifestyle of devotion. The first call is a lifestyle of devotion. We find this in Acts chapter 242 in that origin story. It says this, all the believers devoted themselves. They were devoted. It's a lifestyle of devotion. They were devoted. They were committed. They were all in. They were going for it. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so scripture, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and I always say including but not limited to the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. 
That was the first thing. We're, we're devoted. We're devoted. I guess the first question, maybe let's, let's phrase it as a question. Am I devoted? What am I devoted to? You know, we're on, we're on the bandwagon here. You know, Oilers 15 in a row. 16, 16. Like, now we're devoted. We're going to watch the Vegas game. We're devoted. Kevin's selling a jersey on the internet, so I don't know how devoted Kevin is, but, I mean, the season went bad. He, sold, he listed it immediately. Gotcha. He listed it immediately, and then now we're, you're on the bandwagon. I'm like, well, maybe you could ride the price up. I don't know. Still a great move. Still, still a solid decision. Uh, am I devoted? They devoted themselves to God. And if we're going to, like, strip it down, let's just strip it all the way down to the bare minimum. What were they devoted to? They are devoted to the apostles' teaching, which was to our understanding, for our knowledge, is scripture. Am I devoted to scripture? Simple question, do I actually read the Bible? And how often do I do it? Do I read the Bible every day? The truth is, we all hear the phrase, read, read our Bibles, pray every day, and we go, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and they're like, do I, do you, like so what are you reading? Um, you know, I'm like in Acts chapter two. <laughs> Yeah, you read it on Sunday when someone's like reading it for you. You're not even reading it, you're reading along, you know, on the screen it shows up. Like, are we actually in the Word because the Word is literally the voice of God to us? God, where are you? I can't hear you. <laughs> if only he wrote a book. <laughs> and this is the only book on the planet that reads you way more than you read it. Like, as you read it, it's reading you. It's interpreting you as you're trying to interpret it. All of a sudden, it begins to change your paradigm and change your perspective, and it, it changes things. This is, this is the book. So you guys know who Trevor Noah is? He's a comedian, and he had, you know, talk show and whatever, all that. He says, his mom is a devoted, spirit-filled believer. He is not. And he was, there was an interview that he was participating in talking about his life, and he talked about his mom because his mom sends him a thought from the Bible every day. He's like, the one thing that blows my mind is that my mom reads this book every day and she gets a brand new thought every time. He's like, the book is infinite. He's like, I don't don't necessarily believe it, but it's actually just amazing. He's like, it's amazing to me that she can keep reading it and God keeps speaking and there's layers. It's like an onion, like it doesn't end. And she could read the same passage every day for a week or for a month or for a year. And there's just like something more. There's just something more. And I think if, if as we were in 2024, and it's like it's a whole new year. It's the beginning of a new, new year. It's a good time to pick. It's like more of this in 2024. More of what God is actually saying. And then I make choices based on his parameters, not my parameters. So they're committed to the apostles' teaching. They're committed to the word. They were committed to fellowship. Now, if anyone has a, a history at Bethesda Christian Fellowship, now known as Christ City, fellowship to you means pizza buns on a Sunday night with Pentecostal peach in the church basement. Like, that's what fellowship was, and you did everything you could as a kid to get downstairs as fast as you could <laughs> to get to the food. But for the rest of us, we're like, what is fellowship? Let's just sub in the word community. They were devoted, deeply devoted to community where you were actually spending time with each other, and we're not just spending time with each other here, but it extends outside. And I know we're going to talk more about that and what that looks like here in this context in the week to in the weeks to come. They were also devoted to sharing in meals, which is a great way to build community, sharing in meals. Kevin did a great message on hospitality, available on the new St. George Highlands podcast. Uh, first message, Kevin's uh, talking about hospitality. Amazing. 
It says including the Lord's Supper, but I always say including but not limited to the Lord's Supper because I think people go, okay, communion. They just meant communion. No, they actually just meant eating together because something happens when you eat together. If you chew awkwardly, there's now a vulnerability (laughs) when you're eating together. And they committed themselves to prayer. They committed themselves to prayer. Uh, So as as a church family, we're, we're going into... Um, three days of prayer and fasting. Uh, Glastonbury's kind of leading the charge on that. And it's just a call for three days to be committed to seeking the Lord. And Thursday night, if, if you're free at Glastonbury, we're going to gather together and pray together. Um, I don't, actually, I don't have a link. I don't know how to get it out to you. Uh, we can, I will try and post a way. We actually wrote a field guide to prayer and fasting. Um, that's like 24 pages long, like what on earth are we talking about? Prayer and fasting. Fasting is simply abstaining from something, but not abstaining for the sake of uh, just deleting something. It's abstaining from generally food, or it could be social media or some sort of other consumption in your life so that you can redirect that time for a pursuit of his presence. You need clarity in your life? You're trying to make a job decision? Fast and pray. We've lost some of these rhythms and these, these things because we're just, we're just grinding and we're just trying to figure it out. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing of meals, and to prayer. Consistent prayer and Bible study are the most basic ingredients for spiritual health and growth. If you don't feel spiritually healthy, are you reading the Bible and praying every day? Simple. Not easy. Because you're busy and you've got things. And you're like, I'm not a morning person. Who said that you had to get up early in the morning to do that? You're like, well, the Bible, David talks about getting up in the morning. That's one guy. Elijah encountered God in the middle, and well, <laughs> so many ways, as he's whining in the middle of his complaints, God showed up. So if, are you a complainer? You're a prayer, okay? You can pray. Uh, in the middle of all those things, it, just find a time that works for you, but be devoted to it. Just find a time. I mean, I wonder what your life might look like, even in in the next seven days, if you found a time, whether it's morning, noon, night, whatever time it is, and you devoted seven days, and you say, God, I'm believing for this. I I need some clarity on this. I wonder what might happen at the end of seven days. I'd love you to try it. Challenge, let me know. Let me know what happens. Number two, a lifestyle of discipleship. What does that look like? What does it mean to be committed to a lifestyle of discipleship? Well, Jesus, in one simple phrase, communicated the thought of discipleship. And he communicated this thought to a group of fishermen and tax collectors who are uneducated. And he laid out the process for discipleship, which we have complicated. And he says it like this. This one sentence changed Faith and belief across the globe from the time of Jesus to present. Are you ready for this life-changing statement? In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus called out and said, Come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. You're like, I learned that in Sunday school. No, you memorized it in Sunday school. We're still learning it today. Because there seems to still be some debate to whether or not reaching new people 
sharing the hope of Jesus outside of our Christian circles is actually a part of discipleship. I think it's pretty clear. He says, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, to walk in the dust of your master, or the walk in the dust of your rabbi? Um, there's, it's an interesting, interesting thought. It's actually a pretty gross thought. Um, so, <laughs> when, like, now you, you, you follow a pastor, you follow a leader, you teach it, you just generally go to a service or whatever, and you do what you do. But if you were... If you were called by a rabbi to follow them, then you would go and you were in elite company because rabbis only pick the best of the best. That's why Jesus was so counterculture and counterintuitive. He literally picked the worst of the worst, but they would pick the best of the best. And then if you were to follow your rabbi and the, to walk in the dust of, of, of your rabbi was literally to, to walk so close to them that their sandals kicking up the dirt from the road was getting on you. But that was just the picture. That was just the, the, the uh, illustration. What you would literally do is you would put their life onto your life. So if they had certain mannerisms, you would pick up those mannerisms. If they liked their coffee a certain way, you would get your coffee that certain way. One cream, by the way. Um, that's the way. Um, <laughs> Like you, you would begin to pick that. If they dressed a certain way, you dress a certain way. If they like sat down, if they sat on, like when you speak, you sit down on a stool. You would pick up every single one. It was so extreme that they would follow them into the bathroom. And if they went to the bathroom a certain way, that's how they went to the bathroom. Because the idea was that every area of their life would be washed or covered in the dust of their master, that they would then be a complete replica. They would be fully immersed in the way of the master. Jesus is calling us to be fully immersed in the way of the master. But it's not so much about how you dress, like, no, we don't need to wear white robes and blue sashes, okay? You can grow your hair long if you want, though. Grow a nice beard, it's fine. It's the route I'm taking. Um, <laughs> but... I'm just going to look like the guy from The Chosen. Um, that's the goal, I guess. But discipleship is simple. Come follow me. Paul captured the thought, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's the call of discipleship. But we've majored on the following and minored on the fish for people. Because that's why he came to the planet, was to save people. But this is what that discipleship look like this is the context of it the context of the early church in acts 2 46 and they worshiped together at the temple each day okay that was actually a carryover from from jewish faith they worshiped together at the temple each day but they met in homes for the lord's supper and they shared meals with great joy and generosity a lifestyle of discipleship is just just to be with people being actual community with people. The last line of Acts 2.47 says, and they were added to their fellowship each day, those who were being saved. That's Acts 2.47. The Lord, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So there's a process that those who are joining in community that are on this journey with us, that we can invite people in that don't have it all figured out because that's the grace of God. They're being saved. They're in process. We have done it the other way. If, you're, if you look good, if you, if you put on appearances, then you can roll with us. But the truth is, those who are being saved, those who are in process, you can join our community. You can walk with us. But just understand that if you're walking with us, we're deeply devoted to the way of Jesus, and he's not an addition. He is the primary. 
So we're devoted to this area of Jesus. If we're going to put this into very simple terms, they met in two places. They met in place of worship, and they, meet in, and they met in a place of family. They met day to day in the temple, and they met from house to house. So what does that look like 21st century? We meet in a place of worship, and then we should meet in a place of, place of family, which is homes. We have corporate gatherings, and then we have groups. That's why we do what we do, not just because somebody thought it was a good idea for someone to have like a home group. It's because that's how it started. And all we're doing when we get together is we're building community, we're building relationship, and we're basically saying, how's it going with you daily dying to Jesus Christ? Because I might be struggling with this one area in my life. And because we all have different personalities, the things that I struggle with are not things that Kevin struggles with. And we can learn from one another and grow from one another. Taking that thought further, Paul in 2 Timothy, and this is actually where we get the name of this series from, of sharing, sharing the good news of Jesus, he says this, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. So you've heard the good news, you've heard the story, and you've, you've had people back it up saying, this is what Jesus is doing in my life. He says, now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. That's discipleship. You've heard it, you've seen it, you've measured it, you've decided that it's the real deal. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people, to the real ones, to the other trustworthy people. You're a trustworthy person. I'm trusting this with you. Pass this on. Number three, third call, lifestyle call. Acts 2.45, this is where it gets wild. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. If you're cynical, you're like, oh boy, the Bible's full of communism. No, no, it was just simply that people had excess. And I think we make it really spiritualized or we make it over the top. And this is like where I'm talking about earlier, like, you know, tithing, it's like tithing's like the start, but it's a lifestyle of generosity that we're called to as disciples, which is just taking care of each other's needs. So like somebody's kid needs braces and they don't have the money or the benefits to do that and you've got some extra stuff at home so you have a garage sale and you sell that stuff and you give them the extra money go listen I like I had a little too much and I'm going to give it to you so that you can use it for what you need like let's just break it down to the lowest common denominator it's just a, expressing a genuine care for one another so yeah following Jesus there's a call to tithe because it's a principle it's a principle that works in the earth. It's like gravity. But it starts there. I always say trust starts at 10. If we're, if we're going to start trusting Jesus, it starts at 10. It starts at 10% because there's nothing that has a grip on my heart and my life like money does. And if I can give him that, I can give him almost anything else. 2 Corinthians 9 says, 9 verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. We've all been there, right? For God loves a person who loves cheerfully. Back in uh, Sunday school, we used to sing, God loves a cheerful giver. Give him all you got. He loves to hear your praises when you're in an awkward spot. When the odds are up against you, it's time to stop and sing, thank God for, uh, I can't remember the rest. It's a joyous thing. Oh, God loves a cheerful giver. We should bring it back. So we're going to do offerings from now on, just a joint, <laughs> joint song, you know, taking it back. Lifestyle of generosity. And 
what are, the, what are the major areas that we can be generous in that we're actually most guarded in? And this is probably cancelable offense, but I'll just say it. Because um, I don't, yeah, I guess you just won't come back. Um, work-life balance doesn't apply to the gospel. Because if you're generous, there are no boundaries. You're like, I don't think I believe with that. I punch the clock. At work, you don't punch the clock following Jesus. Because people's problems don't happen at convenient times. The matters of life don't happen at convenient times. Inconvenient times. Uh, this morning I was telling a story about my grandparents. My grandparents, my grandpa uh, was a real estate developer and then his business partner stole his business. And in his 50s, he actually owned most of Beaumont and they were going to develop Beaumont and his business partner took it. And he didn't know what to do. They didn't know how they were going to keep going. They didn't know how they were going to pay for their house. And he went into a season of prayer and fasting in his 50s. And in his 50s, after three days, he heard what he believed to be and as close to the audible voice of God as you could hear, and he just said, you need to start praying for the, for the sick. That was the word that, that God gave him. And I think the funny thing about like healing evangelists, so my grandparents became healing evangelists in their 50s. And I think you know sometimes healing evangelists get a bad rap because of a few people that you see on TV and like, it's all about the money. Well, if it was all about the money, nobody told my grandparents that because nobody gave them any money for anything. Um, but... What was normal for me was um, we would have sleepovers at my grandparents, and they had a um, phone in the hallway, not in their bedroom, but in the hallway upstairs. And at any given time during the night, we knew as kids, during a sleepover, that that phone might ring. And if it rings, my grandpa was going to get up. He was going to answer the phone. And generally, it, the person on the other end of the phone was somebody who had some sort of life disaster and they needed them to come pray. And my grandparents would just get up in the middle of the night and if we were there, my grandma would say, my grandpa would go, he'd go to a hospital, he'd go to someone's house, he would go wherever and he would answer the phone. And it was inconvenient to me at the time because we're having a sleepover, grandpa. And then I just realized, and then it just became, it became inconvenient until it just became normal. Now, I'm the worst person to try and call at night because when I fall asleep, I'm gone. Like, it just ain't happening. So it's like, Lord, maybe I need to expand my own boundaries, my own territory. Maybe I need to be more open to some of those midnight calls because people's pain is inconvenient. Just a thought for consideration. Last call lifestyle call, a lifestyle of unity. In Acts 2.44, in the NIV, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Ephesians 4.3, I really, I love the way Paul lays this out. He says, make every effort, in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Keith, let's put that one up. Ephesians 4, 3. He's already on it. He's such a legend. Make every, because I didn't give Keith any notes. I'm just like, we're just rolling tonight. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. This is also an inconvenient truth because the problem with this is that 
If you offend me, which in this culture, let's be honest, we're all offended all the time. If you offend me, I'm just done with you and I'm gonna move on and I'm gonna find people who I like their opinion better. I would like to submit this thought to you. You don't actually have a relationship with somebody until you have tension. Right? You don't actually have a relationship. You have an affiliation, your colleagues, but until you disagree about something, until there's some friction, and you actually then work through that friction, that's when it becomes a relationship. Before that, you're just getting to know each other. So what's the spirit or the atmosphere? In, in the origin story of the church, the spirit was one of great joy and generosity and goodwill of all people. There was a good feeling there was a unity that existed amongst people and it was refreshing. It was like, whoa, what is this? Why, why do you like me? Why do you care for me? Why did you sell some things in a garage sale and give me some money so my kid could get braces? Why do you care about me this way? Why do you, like, why do you talk, like, why do you care about me? You can just, oh, well, we're all going. Why don't we just all just hold for a second? Uh, <laughs> why do you care about me in this way? The call of a faithful disciple of Jesus is a call to make every effort to walk in peace, forgiveness, and unity. Forgiveness should be on the tip of our tongue. This unity is in three levels. It's a relational unity. As a church, it's a doctrinal unity. We believe the same things about what this says. And it's a philosophical unity. This is how we do what we do. If we're gonna to walk together in this way, we need to have a relational unity, a doctrinal unity, and a philosophical unity. We're all on the same page. This is the mission. This is what we're trying to accomplish. We're, we're, we're doing it in this way. We're moving in this direction. Rebecca's setting such a nice vibe that I'll just add one more verse. Psalm 133. When we think about unity, this is the unity verse. Remember though, unity is not uniformity. A true picture of the church is the body, that, that there's all different parts that are required. Unity is not uniformity. In Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, it's very, scripture is explicit that every part is required and that the best picture is a, is a human body. And, and it says in 1 Corinthians 12, it says a hand like, a hand cannot say to the rest of the body, I do not need you anymore. Because then you just end up with the hamburger helper guy. You've just got this hand, but then the hamburger helper guy has eyes and a mouth, but you wouldn't have an eye or a mouth because the hand just says, I don't need you. The truth is we all need one another. We need the uniqueness that God has placed in each one. Each part is special. Here's this picture of the atmosphere. Psalm 133, how wonderful and pleasant, I'm gonna read the whole chapter, it is, when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Let's break this down for a moment and then we're gonna respond in worship. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. There is a beauty in unity. 
Now, here's what I love about this. I love the word harmony. I'm a music person. When you think about harmony, it means not one thing, it means many things working together to create a sound. You need every note. Rebecca's playing chords right now. There's many notes that you're hearing that creates one sound. That's what the church is. Many notes being played at one time to create one sound. And there's an atmosphere that's like, whoa, this feels good. What is that? That's harmony. That's unity. That's what we fight for. That's why we fight to forgive. That's why we fight to work through our tension. That's why we go, listen, we're gonna preserve this. And it's not like preserve it in a weird way, like you're not in, you're out, we're gonna cast you out. It's not like that. It's like, no, we're gonna work through our problems. Because there's gonna be problems because there's people. There's, harmony, there's, there's, a, there's a good vibe, there's a good feel. And then it says, harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head. Here's what that picture is. Harmony is precious as the anointing oil. The anointing oil is what set apart the priests. Aaron was the high priest. Okay, watch this with me. Harmony in the church is precious because harmony sets us apart. First Peter says that we are like living stones, a royal priesthood. We are the priests. Harmony is the anointing oil. It's as precious as, and it sets us apart. It sets us apart from culture. It sets us apart from the world. It sets us apart from your job and everywhere else. This is the thing that sets us apart. It's a distinctive for us. Harmony is a distinctive for us. Everyone working together, everyone creating this environment when we're all in this together, it's a distinctive and it's a part of God's plan that is separate. And then it goes as far as to say harmony is refreshing. It's refreshing because it's distinct, because it's different. The best way I could describe this verse is no, mo, drama. That's refreshing. People that actually like each other and people that disagree or come from all different walks of life that literally have nothing else in common except for the blood of Jesus all come together and accomplish something together. The truth is in no other universe would Kevin and I be hanging out. He's way too cool for me. Right? I appreciate that, but we know it's true. I mean, Kevin was like a fashion designer. I told him I wanted to buy his clothes. He just designed it for the wrong body type. And uh, small Asian men are the people that bought his clothes. Uh, he didn't have anything in my genre. But it's like, so on no other planet would any of us be together at this moment. What brought us together was the precious blood of Jesus. What keeps us together is the purpose that we find in Jesus. And what creates an atmosphere that people wanna be a part of is a refreshing place where we know that we're all in this together, but not in like a cliche, hashtag better together kind of way, but in a way that's the bond of the spirit. And that atmosphere is refreshing. It's like, what do you mean I could just come here and be myself. No, you can be yourself for now. You can be yourself until you submit to Jesus. And then it doesn't matter where you come from, you become born again and you become a part of this family on a whole nother level. And that's refreshing because everything else, think about society. You have to believe it like this. You have to say it like this. You have to post it like this. 
complete uniformity. And if you don't do it that way, cancelable offense. You're done. There was a suggestion that the body of Christ demands uniform. We don't defend, demand uniformity, we demand unity and harmony, where every part has a special role to play. You see the world from a different angle and together we do what only God can do and we build his house. We see the result of the church's commitment in the origin story, the, the results of devotion and unity and generosity and discipleship is Acts 2.47. This is the result of it. And I believe that's what we're gonna see right here at Highlands, Acts 2:47. All the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. So they had a great time with one another. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Each day. Why? Because we have eyes that are open. We have eyes to see, ears to hear. Our spiritual eyes are open to understand that being a disciple is not just getting good things from me, but it's fishing for people. So each day as I go, as I go, as I go to where I go, I'm, I'm bringing with me the good news of Jesus. I'm bringing with me a different environment. You actually shift the atmosphere. As a disciple, you can shift the atmosphere wherever you go because you bring hope, joy, life, freedom, goodwill, generosity, joy. It's like, why, why are you helping me? Why, why, why wouldn't I? The fruit of a lifestyle of devotion is a wave of people day by day making a decision to follow Jesus. Those who are being saved, it's messy. It doesn't happen on office hours. It's my whole life hours. Dr. Youngie Cho said the problem, he, he led the largest church in the world. He said the problem with the North American church, and this is why we rearranged the service order, is that we like to get a message and we get to, like to get out the door as quickly as we can, but we do not digest the word. We take it, like it's drive-through, I mean, North America. <laughs> take it like it's drive-through and we take it to go. Here's my suggestion. We're gonna worship, now you can come. Uh, the team is gonna come. We're gonna worship and I just want to encourage you to let this word just settle into your heart. And we can pray this prayer individually and we can just ask the Holy Spirit, God, what do you wanna say to us? What are you saying to me in this message? What message do you have for me right here, right now? What are you saying? Come on, why don't we stand to our feet? Thanks for listening to the Saints Church Highlands podcast. If you are looking to get connected, head to saintschurch.ca. And if you are in the Edmonton area, join us for a service next Sunday at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there.